You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. I show up, okay? If I'm not talented, at least I show up. Host of the program. Fresh from BamaOnline.com, where I serve as the senior analyst for the website, which, of course, is a part of the 247sports.com network. The show, as always, brought to you by Peter Brook Chocolatier. Out there at 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section of Tuscaloosa. Shop hours, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., Monday through Saturday, go ahead, get by there, pick up those great treats, whether you like the dark chocolate, the milk chocolate, the white chocolate, maybe you like a combination of the three, the great gelato flavors that you have there for you, so creamy and savory, that great Italian ice cream, free scoop, free scoop of that gelato on Wednesdays in the month of July, if you missed it yesterday, still got a couple, well, is it one more Wednesday we've got, is that all we've got, one more Wednesday? In the month of uh, July. So you got next Wednesday. Need to make it happen if you haven't already. I'm sure some of you have gone four for four and looking to make it five for five, which is a appropriate segue on this, the opening day of the 2020 Major League Baseball season. And we're going to have some Major League Baseball talk for you. Al Chandler Rome, an alum of that Alabama beat. Chandler Rome now the Astros beat reporter for the Houston Chronicle. We're going to head out to Houston, check in with Chan, get his thoughts on just kind of where we're at with baseball in the midst of a pandemic. You know, we've seen some of the exhibition games. You saw the Braves again yesterday against the Marlins. 6-2 losers, the Braves, yesterday, but it was good to see Austin Riley, right, with a couple of pops, a couple of bombs for the young uh, infielder. Play some outfield, too. Looks like he's going to be the opening day third baseman, though, because you've got uh, Johan Camargo dealing with that hamstring. So that was promising to see Austin Riley deliver. But Chandler's been on the road already with the Astros. The Astros were in Kansas City on Monday and Tuesday for summer camp games. So he'll be able to give us some perspective, both in terms of the, the setting, the ballpark being empty, uh, you know, what he's encountering covering the sport in comparison to previous years, so we look to have a lot of fun, informative segment coming up with Chandler Rome of the Houston Chronicle coming up at the bottom of the hour. But you've got so many things going on right now in the world of sports. You've got MLB cranking up. 
You've got high school and college football looking to ramp up towards seasons, the NFL in that boat as well. And then lo and behold, here in the last few minutes, Joe Gaither, not sure if you saw this. By the way, we do combine to form the 60-minute man. Woo! <laughs> I didn't forget you, Joe. A little slow getting around to it today. It's all but, right. It's uh, your show. How about, how about you know, Mike Tyson? In a comeback fight. I guess it's just going to be an exhibition. Roy Jones Jr. Roy Jones Jr. Now, let me tell you something. That's a bad dude. Everybody's talking about Tyson, and Tyson looks incredible. And I still, Tyson in his early 50s, I still don't want any of that uh, uppercut. Okay? I don't want any of that left hook. I don't want any of it. All right? I'm not saying that. I wouldn't want 30 seconds of early 50s Mike Tyson. But Roy Jones Jr. is a pretty bad dude. Now, Roy's interesting because he won world titles at four different uh, weights, like middleweight, light heavy, heavyweight. You know, Roy Jones Jr., there was a time, pound for pound, you're talking about the best fighter in the sport back when boxing really mattered before MMA. You know, Roy Jones Jr. was that guy for a long time. Roy Jones Jr. fashioned himself as a really good basketball player at one time as well. I actually saw a Roy Jones title fight in Jacksonville, Florida, in person. I want to say it was, guy, it's been 25 years. But there was this league, Joe, that was called the USBL. It was the United States Basketball League, and it was a summer league that kind of ran concurrent with the NBA and it was after what was known as the Continental Basketball Association. Before you had the G League, you had these sort of minor leagues of, of basketball, too. The CBA was one for years. Then you had, like, the USBL, the United States Basketball League. Well, Roy Jones Jr. actually owned the USBL team in Jacksonville. And the name of the team was the Jacksonville Beach. They actually played out at Jack's Beach there. The Jacksonville Beach Hooters. Because they were sponsored by Hooters. But he actually one day, in the same day, in the afternoon at Jacksonville Beach, he played in a professional basketball game in the USBL. And then that night uh, defended a title in the ring. One of the craziest things I've ever seen. But, uh, yeah, that could be interesting. Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr., eight rounds. Would you pay to watch that? I bet you would. I'd pay one more time. How many more times would you pay to watch Mike Tyson fight? As many Joe, times as it, he would fight. Really, really, really. Yeah. It's just so, so intrigued by it. His, his his prime was right in my early youth, so I really didn't really see yeah. anything live. I, I, Go ahead. I could see, I could see that for your demographic. You know, it'd be kind of like if Jordan could come back, right? And yeah, play. I the last probably two years of Jordan with the Bulls. The last one, yeah. really. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Very similar there. But uh, I'd pay to watch it once, you know, because I'm 51 years old. I was there. I saw it all. You know, I saw Mike bite a piece of Evander Holyfield's ear off in the ring. I saw that when it happened. And it was incredible to watch sort of his downfall, which was entirely based upon out-of-the-ring events. But, boy, when Mike was great, when he was with Customato, his original trainer, and uh, they had it going there. It, it really did feel like this guy could go 100-0. and 0. It just did. Because he wasn't just winning fights. He was knocking people out in 30 seconds 
left and right. Back when heavyweight boxing, again, was a real thing. So there will be some intrigue there with Iron Mike in that uh, exhibition fight, apparently, that's going to take place between himself and Roy Jones Jr. But right here locally, certainly, big news in the last day or so. High school football, going to give it a go in the state of Alabama. You know, not a huge surprise, I would say, considering what we're seeing in some surrounding states. Florida's going to give it a go. Georgia's going to give it a go. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with what's being allowed, what's being permitted at the state level. And I'm absolutely thrilled for the young people who are going to get to experience something that is, in my opinion, it's unlike anything else that you experience in your pre-adult years. There's nothing like high school football. You know, when our daughter was considering the possibility of playing high school football, that was the only thing I said to her. I didn't try to sell her either way. I wanted her to do it because more, more so I knew she could do it. But the only thing I really said to her was, I know you've played soccer. I know you've played basketball. I know you've played lacrosse, softball, you name it. But I'm just telling you, there's nothing like Friday nights at the high school level. And, uh, and and I think she would she would echo that sentiment now after playing three years on the high school level. So I'm extremely happy for those young folks uh, because if you've ever been a part of it again in any form or fashion, you know the kind of impact and the indelible memories that come from the, the sport. And I'm not just talking about the players. I'm talking about the band, cheerleaders, students, parents. There's nothing like being a, a parent of a high school football player. There's nothing that can describe that feeling in your stomach when you walk into a stadium on a Friday night and you hear the band and and you're wrecked with nerves because uh, you're about to watch your young person put it on the line out there. It's an essential part of the high school experience. No, I don't know if it's entirely essential. I think it is because I've experienced both as a as a student athlete and as a parent of a student athlete. Um, and here's the thing with the setup here in Tuscaloosa, with what we've seen from the city schools and what we've heard from the AHSAA and the expectation for fall sports. And I ain't you know, look. I don't mean to pigeonhole this just as a football thing because I understand there's volleyball, there's all sports, and you're talking about a lot of kids um, that that are are hopeful of being able to participate. And again, especially where seniors are concerned. Um, but you know, I, I think what makes it sustainable, the reasons why I think it's potentially sustainable for high school sports in the fall, is. First and foremost, these coaches and players have everything to lose if they're not compliant 
with uh, protocol and procedures and trying to you know, keep themselves as distant, not just from each other, but as a result, also the COVID-19 virus as they possibly can. What I'm saying is, you know, with the school aspect of it, you know, there's fallbacks that you can go to. You know, you can go from in-classroom to remote learning and continue the academic end of things. If this doesn't go well, if there's an outbreak early in the season, there's no going virtual for athletics. It's over. You're done. So the motivation is at another level for these coaches and these players. You got to think they've got everything to lose. You know, they've got everything to lose if this doesn't go well. Sports will be gone. And I, my concern is if it does happen early in the season and it's in large numbers, then you start just thinking about the spring sports. The winter and spring sports go by the boards as well. So there's a lot on the line for these fall sports. First and foremost, if they want to sustain a season, they have to do everything they possibly can to keep this thing to a very minimal situation within their team. What I do like, too, in terms of the sustainability is that just looking at the Tuscaloosa City Schools, you're talking about remote learning for the first nine weeks. So you're not concerned about once classes in session, this is kind of what you worry about in college sports, right? Okay, you've got this bubble set up in college sports, but if you start bringing students back on campus and you start sending student athletes to class with those individuals, what happens then with your potential for infection and transmission and those things? With remote learning in place in Tuscaloosa City Schools, you don't have to worry about that at the high school level around here. You can very much set up a bubble. Now, you're going to send those kids home, and then once that happens, it's pretty much out of your control. But, again, that carrot you have as a coach is okay. You know, if you want to play football, if you want a full football season, but when we leave here, you're going to go home. You're going to make sure you, you know, your hands are as clean as they've ever been. You're going to wear a mask wherever you need to go. You know, you're not going to put yourself in position with large groups of individuals. You're going to do everything you possibly can to ensure not only yourself, but more so this entire operation has a chance to sustain. So you're going to have that, again, as a motivating force. But, you know, I do think in a scenario where you're doing remote learning and then you're still playing sports, that bubble aspect, you have a much better chance of keeping that intact, obviously. Um, you know, where I get a little bit concerned about it is apparently the AHSAA is going with, we're going to pack the stadiums, everybody's allowed in, fans, hey. And, again, as I said earlier, I respect that from the standpoint of it's more than just players that benefit from a football season. It's the entire student base. It's the... It's the band, it's the cheerleaders, everybody. I get that. But, you know, that's kind of where you fly in the face of what I just talked about, of something that's going to benefit you from the perspective of remote learning with being able to maintain a bubble 
for your respective sports. Okay, but then on Friday night, you're going to bring everybody together, you know, and, uh, and let it rip. And that's where I have some concerns. And really, the concerns I have is not so much with the young people based on the science and the numbers we're seeing, um, although that sort of narrative that, well, young kids don't get sick, that's, that's been disproven. Of course, not at the rate that we're seeing elderly folks uh, become ill. But, you know, that's where I get a little bit concerned. And I look, I want everybody in the stadium, I want the band there, like I said. But that's where my concern comes in for the potential for spread and, you know, transmission and things like that. And I'm sure, look, I'm sure that these schools, Northridge, Hillcrest, Bryant, Central County, Northside, I'm sure they're all going to have protocols in place. And, um, you know, so I'm pulling for everybody in this thing. There's no doubt about that uh, because it, it's it, from a coaching perspective, you see so much of those folks' hard work come to fruition right in front of their eyes. You know, these coaches, they don't do this for the money. There aren't many rush probes running around, okay? There's not a lot of these guys and gals that are making six figures and driving King Cab F-350s on the booster club's dime. It's just not a, a a widespread sort of situation. It doesn't happen everywhere. There's only a few Valdostas. There's only a few Hoovers. There's only a few Lowndes counties. In fact, it's wild that Lowndes and, and Valdosta are actually in the same town. But you get my drift. So, you know, it's 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 so much of, a sacrifice and um, you know what these these folks are willing to put into working with these young people and you know, we talk about college football and we talk about the biggest steps that teams take from game one to game two watch a high school football team watch a high school team in any sport from week one to week 11 or week one to week 20 if it's basketball or baseball or something else and it's that growth that has to be the thing it keeps most of these coaches coming back because, again, for so many of them, it's not financial. It's the personal growth of young people that you take into account as well. You know, the truly great coaches I've been around, some of them weren't state championship coaches. You know, some of them were coaches in football that six and four, seven and four type teams for the most part. But then when you looked at the growth that their players encountered as people, they, they, were, they were world championship coaches. So, again, we hope that this thing proceeds without incident. And, um, you know, like I said, I, I do think it is sustainable based under the current setup, just looking at Tuscaloosa City right now with the remote learning, with the – the team's still able to pretty much be bubbleized. Uh, I think it's I think it's doable. I really do. We're going to take our first break when we come back. More football talk before we get to Chandler Rome at the bottom of the hour. Two zero five three four two nine nine zero four is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line. If you'd like to check in with us, we'd love to hear from you. Back with more of the show right after this. 
Partly to mostly sunny, hot, and humid this afternoon. The chance of a few widely scattered thunderstorms through the evening hours. A high today, 96. Tonight's low, 74. Tomorrow's sunny during the morning. A few spots could see a passing afternoon thunderstorm. The high, 95. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide! town ain't small it's a little of both they say our ball club may be minor league but at least it's triple a little opening day playlist theme for you today on southern fried sports we're gonna do it with some alabama in the cheap seats to kind of get that going didn't you absolutely the boys from fort Payne. gotta highlight those folks Whenever we get the opportunity. Today's show brought to you in part, by the way, by Houston Hydrosteam, carpets, rugs, upholstery, tile, and grout cleaning, that and so much more. You can get handled right now if you call 205 553 9460. Houston Hydrosteam, locally owned and operated. We can certainly attest to the services of Houston Hydrosteam, did the entire house for us. At Casa de Rire. Couldn't be more pleased with the work. And you should try them as well. 205-553-9460, Houston Hydrostein. Quality work you can stand on. Uh, I'm seeing here in the last little bit so much going on, so much of this stuff ever-changing, evolving, as they like to say. Stuart Mandel on Twitter reporting that the Pac-12 has determined its path to a season, and that will include a start on September the 19th, looking at conference-only right now. Conference-only play, as we had already heard from the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, will get underway tentatively set for September the 19th for the Pac-12. Ten conference games is what Stuart Mandel's reporting for the Pac-12. Already in a situation where the league is a nine-game conference setup from a scheduling perspective, so not much of a reach. And the expectation still that the Pac-12 will conduct a conference championship game in December, floating a couple of three different dates, giving itself some flexibility uh, with all the uncertainty for that championship game in December, which, by the way, will be contested at the new stadium out there, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada, which is out there a couple weeks ago. And you have one of those Roombas, you know, it's one of those self-cleaning vacuum cleaners, you know, that robotic type thing that'll travel around the house and clean the floors for you. Um, That's what Allegiant Stadium looks just like. Looks like our Roomba. That's what it looks like. But, man, you can tell uh, a lot of bucks poured into that venue, which will host the Pac-12 championship game. And here's my thing with the college football playoff 
we talked about it before. I think the farthest west the college football playoff should go are the only place out west that the college football playoff should go in the foreseeable future is probably Vegas. I mean, no one gets fired up about the college football playoff in Phoenix. No one gets fired up about it in Santa Clara. No one gets fired up about it in L.A. Just go to Vegas if you're going to go out west with the college football playoff and kind of be like New Orleans, maybe even a little more sinister out in Vegas because the way they got that new stadium set up, it's right at the end of the strip, man. So all the hotels, all the casinos, not all of them because you still have old Vegas, which is my preferred Vegas, downtown Vegas. You know, I like that. Thank Goodfellas, Godfather 2, casino feel to my Vegas. And that's what you get in downtown Vegas, old Vegas. But uh, over in the Strip area, it's set up perfectly, man, for fans. Kind of like New Orleans with uh, the quarter adjacent pretty much to the Superdome. But uh, that's Stuart Mandel reporting this morning. Pac-12 has a plan to start its season on September the 19th. Now, we're going to get into some baseball talk coming up in the next segment with Chandler Rome, Astros beat reporter for the HoustonChronicle.com. we got plenty of things to discuss well, with Chandler. We'll also talk about, coming up later in the show, another phase of the mandatory workouts on the college football amended calendar getting underway here in the next day. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more when Southern Pride Sports returns on a Thursday, presented by Peter Brook Chocolatier right after this. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon, getting you ready for the 60-game sprint known as the 2020 Major League Baseball regular season and helping us to do that this morning. Good friend of the program, Chandler Rome, beat reporter for the Houston Astros with the Houston Chronicle. Now, Chandler, when it comes to Springsteen, are you in that big, big sort of vat of sports writers who love them some boss, or are you not quite in there with Michael Casagrande and so many others? I'm not a Springsteen. I, 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 I'll listen to a couple songs. I, I don't know his full collection, and um, I'm not going to claim to. Uh, but there is like there has become like a divide in the baseball writer community. You're either a Springsteen guy or, or you're a Jason Isbell guy, so I'm probably right. more in the Jason Isbell 
train than I am on the Springsteen train, but I respect all uh, I respect all Bruce lovers too. Yeah, yeah, Isbell man, he's become that dude. Big Atlanta Braves fan, Jason Isbell loves him some Atlanta Braves. But uh, obviously, wanted to have you on this morning as we uh, we get ready for uh, a unique baseball season. I think we can we can all agree upon that. Um, the Astros open the truncated season tomorrow night at eight ten Central against the Mariners. You were in Kansas City earlier in the week. I know the Royals Hunter Dozier has tested positive for COVID in the time since uh, I guess those meetings there at Kauffman Stadium. He's now the eighth Kansas City player to test positive since the ramp up to the season got underway. How have the Astros sort of weathered the virus to this point, Jalen? So we don't really know. Um, some teams are being a lot more public about their players' COVID-19 test results than others. Um, obviously, the league-wide mandate is um, teams do not have to disclose whether they place a player on the COVID-19 IL or if a player tests positive unless that player provides them permission to do so. So there have been some teams that have been a little more uh, public. Their players have asked maybe to have their names out there. The Astros have not. Um, all we, all I can, and I don't want to speculate on anyone's medical conditions. That's obviously not my job, but, um, two Astros are not in camp and will not be on the opening day roster. They're currently on the injured list with no reason given, uh, reigning American league rookie of the year, Jordan Alvarez, uh, the designated hitter and also starting pitcher, Jose Urquidy. Neither of them was in summer camp at all. And the only reason that we were given was because they have a condition that is preventing them from reporting to the field. Like I said, I'm not going to speculate anything, but I think if you put two and two together there, you can kind of go in the direction we're talking about here. So other than those two um, mysterious absences, no Astros player has publicly said that he has tested positive for COVID. Um, you know, the Hunter Dozier situation was a little bit different um, this week. It created a little bit of confusion yesterday morning because Hunter Dozier played in Monday's game against the Astros. Um, he took three at-bats, and he played six innings of defense in right field. Um, obviously, when you when you talk about um, who you look at the most as the guy that could be affected, it's the catcher, Martin Maldonado, who stood, who crouched, I should say, two feet away from Dozier, you know, three separate times, and the Astros were retested yesterday, so those results aren't in yet, but everyone participated in their, in their final workout yesterday. Um, the team did do some contact tracing. They had to go review video of the game to see if anyone came in close contact with Dozier, aside from Maldonado, obviously. So they had to enact that process yesterday, and uh, manager Dusty Baker said they're very confident that no one was close enough to Dozier to warrant any sort of action, but... Um, you know, that, that's kind of how they've weathered it. They had some early on, there were some really big snafus with the test result reporting, um, getting the results back in time. A lot of tests were delayed. But that seems to have smoothed out a little bit over the last week just in time for the season to start. For you, in terms of what you do on a daily basis, covering the club, how much has it changed? i got to think a pretty good bit, just in terms of your travel, uh you know your your ability to access players and Dusty Baker and you know, press box setting. How is how, how different is all that for you? Yeah, it's it's a little bit different. Um, it's not a little bit. It's a lot different. Um, you know, my newspaper has given me the 
freedom. They, they said if, if I feel comfortable traveling, that they will, they will foot the bill and they don't mind me traveling wherever I'd like to go. So um, as of now, I'm going to travel to most, if not all, road series. Um, I will say, though, there is no real tangible um, benefit to traveling because all access is done via Zoom now. Um, we are not allowed in the clubhouse, obviously. We're not allowed on the field. We are not even allowed to leave the press box. So it, we're pretty confined once we get inside the ballpark. We're wearing masks. We're wearing masks all the time. And it's a little bit like covering college football again. Um, you know, <laughs> the, 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 you, you, can, you can put requests into the team, but at the end of the day, the team chooses who they make available. Um, everybody's got the same quotes. It's one big, it's a couple big scrums a day, and that's it. So you're constantly looking for ways to, to, you know, present the same information differently. You're looking for ways to, we used to say on the Alabama beat, get out of the room, like get out of the media room, um, get some voices from outside the media room. Don't just rely on the players or, and coaches and things like that. But the access itself, you know, the, the, quantity, the, uh, the quantity of access has been fine. I mean, what we do, we get the manager twice a day during games, but we get players before and after the game. It's just, there's not that exclusivity anymore. There's not that relationship building that you can do in the clubhouse. Um, you know, reporters have certain relationships with certain players, um, you know, in other areas that, that, you know, could be beneficial. Some, some of these guys that if you've covered them for a long time, you may have their phone number, you may be able to get in touch with them away from the field. But by and large, you're going to see a lot of the same quotes running around, um, a lot of the same stories. So that, that can be frustrating a little bit, but again, I'm just – you know, I'm just lucky to have the work. I'm just happy that we're busy right now and, and baseball season's going to start. So what was the vibe like at, at the games in Kansas City? Uh, nothing, I guess, uh, in the ballpark, uh, watching those games, covering those games? So it's kind of weird. Kansas City has the fountains going in center field, and the piped-in crowd noise sounds like a white noise machine. So those two things kind of blended together, and it was kind of soothing, actually. Just kind of sitting nice. there listening to, to waterfall and the crowd noise going, and it's a little soothing. But I mean, yeah, there's no energy in there, and that's going to be one of the bigger challenges as the season goes on. If it goes on, um, it's going to have these teams are going to have to find energy. They're going to have to find motivation. And you know, the one thing I've kind of thought about as we're drawing closer to the season is every team, or most of every team, has talked about how much they're adhering to the distancing, the protocols, how much they're taking personal responsibility away from the field to, you know, get this season through 60 games. But what I've been wondering is after the first 10 or 15 games of this season, I wonder if the teams that start off bad, like let's say through 15 games there's a team that, you know, that's won like five or six games. What motivation do they have to continue this? What motivation do they have to say, you know what, on the road I'm not going to – I'm going to stay in my room all night? Or do they say, you know what, season's lost, I might as well go to the bar, go to a restaurant, something like that. I wonder how long it's going to take some teams to get maybe some disinterest to, you know, get tired of the protocols, to get tired of that. And that's where I think we could maybe start going down a slippery slope here. And obviously, once these teams start traveling pretty regularly, I think that'll that'll be a big hurdle that these guys have to clear too. But – um, you have to give credit where credit is due. Um, the fact that they got through summer camp workouts without anything disastrous happening is, I, I guess, a positive for Major League Baseball and their protocols. Um, they, they ironed out the, the testing deficiencies and delays, and you know we, we're going to start the regular season tonight. And I think that's a, that's an accomplishment in and of itself. 
you talk about the travel and there's been this move to more of a regional alignment for scheduling purposes, but it doesn't look like the Astros are necessarily benefiting from that being in the AL West. Uh, by my count, Chandler, the Astros of its 60 games, 21 of them will be in either Los Angeles, San Diego, Oakland, or Seattle. So much for regional, right? Throw in Phoenix on that first road trip, too. You can oh, that, I'll, go down the list. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, I figured Phoenix and Denver were just hops, you know, compared to these other ones. But, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, it's and they're they're traveling the second most miles of any major league team this year, and the only one traveling more is the Texas Rangers. So that should sort of tell you where those two teams stand. But yeah, I mean that, and that's something that I think they they deal with this during a 162 game season too. Their travel is not easy. And now, granted, these guys get used to it, and there's normally some off days built in that they can that they can help if they have a late game on the West Coast and they get in. Uh, the next day, early in the morning, or early that next morning, if they have to fly, they can. They have off days to help them, but that's not going to be the case this year. Um, and given again all the protocols and how different flights are going to be, um, you know, there's no card playing on flights anymore. They're not serving drinks on flights anymore. Um, I, 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 it's going to be a difficult challenge, and it's going to be just another one of those things that the Astros are going to have to adapt to. But I, I do think, obviously, that they are. Um, they are used to the West Coast. They're used to, to making those flights. But um, everything is different this year, and they're going to have to, again, I think motivation and finding a way, finding a reason to, to keep adhering to the protocols and to keep uh, morale up, that's going to be a big challenge. Imagine if the Atlanta Braves were still in the NLS. How about that for regional alignment? Um, yeah, the, the Astros with five games at home to open things up and then right out on the road, nine-game roadie to L.A., Arizona, and uh, Oakland. So it, it comes quickly on the road for the uh, for the Astros. Uh, I know that today there at HoustonChronicle.com, you have a very interesting piece on Dusty Baker, the Astros' first-year manager, and sort of the manner in which he has acknowledged the national anthem in the past. Talk about that a little bit, Chandler. And also, in terms of the Black Lives Matters movement, uh, and unrest, the social unrest in the wake of the killings of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and George, George Floyd. Was there anything outward in Kansas City that you saw from the players, maybe pregame? Do you anticipate any of that as you get the season going? I, there was nothing outward in Kansas City, at least that I saw. Um, I, I did notice, however, and I don't, I, I don't want to be quoted on numbers specific, but I did notice that there were fewer Astros actually out for the national anthem uh, before Tuesday's game. I'm not sure if that was just a timing thing or if that was something, but that's the only thing out of the ordinary I noticed. Um, Major League Baseball, it's, this is within the story that you mentioned about Dusty Bake, but Major League Baseball is providing um, a lot of avenues for players to express themselves on opening night. They're going to allow players to wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts in pregame batting practice. They're going to have sleeve patches that could either say Black Lives Matter or United for change. Um, they're going to have a wristband that, that, that players could wear that the silhouette of the player in the MLB logo is black. Um, and they're also going to lift cleat restrictions for most of the year, too, allowing some guys to express themselves how they want on um, – express themselves how they want on uh, on throughout the season. So I think 
with Dusty Baker, he's been around so long, and he's comes from a very he comes from a very diverse background. A guy that you know, his mom was a black history teacher, and his father was um, his fa- and his father was in the military. So he's got the best of both worlds. There, he said when he was younger and he was a player, he was angry. He was a guy that um, you know his anger sort of overtook him. But since then, you know, his dad reminded him of the military service that's in their family. And I think that has helped him, and he's kind of figured out a little bit how to best blend things. And when I asked him, I thought it was very interesting when I asked him, um, you know, do the do the Astros have anything planned for opening night team-wise? And he said, you can't choreograph your feelings. So I think it's going to be maybe a lot more individual um, individual statements, if anything, from the Astros on opening night. This club, this organization, uh, we know with a pretty sizable dark cloud that it has existed under in the wake of some recent controversies and scandals that we've talked about with you here on the show in the past. They're very well documented at this point. That being said, do you sense some of these guys, Jose Altuve, others, in the sense maybe they're a little more motivated than ever to win a championship, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder in the wake of all this stuff? You know, I don't really buy into, like, they need more motivation or they need a chip on their shoulder. I mean, these guys are paid a lot of money to do this, and they, they have to have that inherent drive. They have to have that inherent um, want to be good. So I don't maybe buy, like, professional athletes needing more motivation. Um, but, yeah. You know, yeah, I think certainly this team's going to have more, um, going to have a chip on its shoulder and certainly going to have a little bit more. And it's going to be allow it a little bit easier with no fans in the stands. They won't have to deal with that. But people are going to talk. You saw this weekend in Kansas City. Um, aggregators went insane when they saw Jose Altuve and George Springer and Alex Bregman get hit by pitches, none of which were intentional. But this is going to be what they're breaking balls. Every time, yeah, every time one of them gets hit by a pitch, this is going to happen. And they will yeah. get hit eventually. Sometime this year they will get hit by a pitch intentionally, and you will know when it is intentional. You will be able to see. But it just was that's just not it. And they're gonna they're gonna have to deal with that. They're gonna have to deal with people talking and they're gonna have to deal with rumors and whispers all throughout the season. But the one thing they won't have to deal with, they won't have to deal with it viscerally and see it from uh and see it from fans that are actually in the stands. Well, Chandler, we always appreciate the time, my man. Great stuff there at the Houston Chronicle. You can find Chandler at the HoustonChronicle.com. Great beat coverage of the Astros. Always a lot of fun catching up. What you don't know is Chandler and me, in terms of DMs, all we talk about is women's college basketball. That might be a little bit of a surprise for folks, Chandler, but we'll save that for another segment. Hey, stay safe, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate you, man. There you go, Chandler. Should we of you and your family above all else? And a store that's always here to help. At Kohl's, we don't know what next year will look like. We just know that we'll be here for you no matter what. Kohl's, here today, here to stay. See store or Kohl's.com for details. A few spots could see a passing afternoon thunderstorm, the high 95. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app.
Back with more of a Thursday edition of Southern Tribe Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM. Thanks again to Chandler Rome and the Houston Chronicle joining us talking to Major League Baseball on opening day 2020. July the 23rd, 2020 is your opening day. Looking forward to that universal DH in this 60-game sprint. That's one they're going to try to keep in there on you. If you're the baseball purist and you don't like the DH, well, I'm afraid it's here to stay. This is that sort of weird circumstance where something is portrayed as temporary and it's going to stick. I think that universal DH is going to stick. And if you're talking about the Atlanta Braves, you're probably looking at Matt Adams doing a good bit of that for you. The recently signed Matt Adams. It's Charlie Culberson, some other guys could do that for you as well. Speaking of the Astros, they're not going to have Garrett Cole to open the season tomorrow night. Uh, instead, it'll be Justin Furlander making his 12th opening day start for the Astros. Meanwhile, Garrett Cole tonight ought to be a good one. First game of the season, you've got the Yankees at the Nationals tonight. Garrett Cole taking on Max Scherzer, the defending world champion. Washington Nationals. Then you're going to have the Giants at the Dodgers coming up for your nightcap. Those are your first two games. You get a full slate pretty much on Friday across Major League Baseball, again, including the Atlanta Braves on the road at the New York Metropolitans. Yeah, Braves getting it going on the road. Braves were kind of hoping to have Cole Hamels, the veteran left-hander in that rotation. It looks like it's going to happen for the foreseeable future. He had that left triceps tendonitis. It's been a problem for him. So Cole Hamels trying to get well and maybe get into that rotation here in the not-too-distant future. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier Studio Line if you'd like to catch up with us here in the final moments of today's program. Talked about earlier how we're about to enter another phase of the mandatory workouts in college football. Another one of those smile markers that, hey, we're just happy to reach it, get past it, and then perhaps try to look ahead to the start of fall camp, which is tentatively set around college football for August the 7th. But starting tomorrow, you're going to go into that next phase where you'll have the 20-hour rule in effect. You'll have up to eight hours per week for weight training and conditioning. You're going to have six hours per week for walkthroughs. Where that's really going to change is you're going to be able to incorporate the actual football into your walkthroughs starting on tomorrow. And then your other six hours of the 20, you're going to have meetings, which can include film review, team meetings, position meetings, one-on-one meetings, et cetera, et cetera. That's how your 20 hours are going to sort of lay out for you starting tomorrow. And then during this phase, you are required to give the players, the student-athletes, two days off. You start thinking about camp, preseason, and the run-up to the to the fall, and got to think fan days by the boards, right, this year at Alabama and other places. I always look forward to fan day. Not so much because I'm one of these a-holes that likes to mock the fans who are excited about the autograph portion of the day. I guess maturity is... is overtaken me here, and I I don't feel the need to make fun of those folks. What I miss is the fan day practice. You know, that's the one day, the one practice, 
for the media anyway, where you get a really good look at the football team. Now, the other side of that is you're only three or four days into camp, so it's still so early, but you get a good idea, at least initially, of how things are setting up for an Alabama team on an annual basis. And I don't think we're going to get that. I, I can't imagine how you could do fan day. I mean, you can't have you can't have team meetings, really, with everybody in the same room right now. You know, because of social distancing and protocol and those things. And did you see also, we talked about some rule changes that had already been discussed, but a couple that have come to light here in the last day or so, and really they're about eight months late for the Alabama side. Two of these rule changes that if they were in play for the 2019 Iron Bowl could have helped Alabama, I would say, a pretty good bit. And the latest one we're learning about is the 12 defensive players allowed on the field prior to the snap. Now, we had already talked about previously the change with, I believe it's two seconds or less, you're not going to be able to get off a play on the heels of a live ball situation timeout. You don't have a timeout to stop the clock yourself. And you go to the replay review like we saw at the end of the first half of the Alabama-Auburn game last November. And then... Auburn, even with, I guess, less than two seconds left, was able to, on a live ball whistle, snap the ball and get the kickoff in time. Uh, That's going away. And now with this new rule allowing for 12 defensive players to be on the field prior to the snap, both of those scenarios were huge, weren't they? And look, you give credit to Anders Carlson, the Auburn kicker. He still had to make, what was that, 52 yards he had to make? in a rushed, in a hurried scenario. So not to take any of the credit away from Anders Carlson because he nailed it. He was huge in that game. I mean, I, I know a lot of Alabama fans, they look at it, just think of it in black and white terms. Uh, Anders Carlson was great. Alabama missed a 30-yarder. And that's kind of the, the way that some Alabama fans look at it. But, you know, as for the the 12 players on the field defensively, um, you know, Auburn was prepared for that situation, took advantage of a rule that caught Alabama running defensive and punt return team personnel on and off the field. So it was a gotcha play. Whether you're an Alabama fan that doesn't want to admit it or not, there's no other reason, there's no other way you can define it as something other than a gotcha play because why would Auburn have kept its offensive people on the field on fourth and four from its own 26 with a minute to go, unless it was trying to catch Alabama in that very situation. I mean, Alabama assumed Auburn was going to punt right there. How could you not? And Auburn kept its offensive personnel on the field, and in the confusion, UA had some guys running on and off. It had a 12th guy on the field. There's the penalty, and there was your ball game. I know. Not to, not to tear open old scabs or anything, but uh, you won't have to worry about it this time around. Something else uh, as we leave here with you on a Thursday. You've got some new names around professional sports here in the last hour or so. At least for the foreseeable future, the NFL team in Washington will be described as officially just that, the Washington football team now up there in D.C. How about that? Got to think that. Doesn't that have to be temporary until that uh, bumbling 
existence of a franchise can figure out something else. And the NHL, the Seattle franchise, is going to go with the Kraken like that. That'll make for some good. Uh, that'll make for some good uh, souvenir sales. You'll sell plenty of that on hats, jerseys, scarves, pucks. Yeah, the NHL Seattle Kraken coming at you here in the not too distant future. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Appreciate Chandler Rome joining us from the Houston Chronicle. Joe Gaither, as always, doing a great job producing the program. The lunch whistle today, as it is on Thursdays, Eat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Dine-in hours for the weekend there at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, Government Plaza. Nightly specials on all those great pies. Can't beat them. I love the Thai chicken pizza at Heat. I'm on record with that. I love all the pies down there at Heat Pizza Bar. Also, drink specials at that bar. Fabulous bar. Wall-to-wall bar, basically, there at Heat Pizza Bar. Downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. Got a beat-up glove, a homemade